All right, welcome to another edition of the Late to Grid podcast. This is your host, Bill Snow, and we are recording this from the Track First studio. No joke, we are sitting here at Track First, thanks to Tim and Sally for setting up a little area for us to record, and I have the honor and pleasure of having Reed Kreider as our guest today. Those of you involved in motorsports will no doubt recognize Reed's name. You might even think back to the days of the uh, Kreider Cup. Right? Crider Racing Series. Crider Racing Series. Yep. Um, so, Reed, it's great to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. So, by a bit of background, folks, I... So, Reed probably doesn't even remember meeting me, but every time I'd go out to Nelson Ledges for a track day, whether it was the mini group that just rented the track or we did some other day, Reed would be there at the whiteboard, either in the tech building or the barn, telling us how to hit corners better, where to hit, what to do, this sort of stuff. And I thought he'd be a great guest to have on here because he has so much knowledge and, and a storied background. So, Reed, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your motorsports background? Okay, let's start out with this. Um, basically, if you go back to when I started out autocrossing, I've been doing this for 50 years. Uh, I've done pro racing for close to 20 years with IMSA. I was a race tire engineer for Goodyear for many years. Uh, I have a huge varied background designed and build our own race cars we take care of a lot of other people's cars currently we take care of a trans am car and we also take care of uh, numerous club racers and we also are active again at nelson ledges under the new ownership very good so let's talk about some of the, the imps experience you have back in the day which division or which class I ran what was originally referred to as GTU. Mm -hmm. Near the end, it morphed into a couple other names, but uh, we were basically under three-liter cars. Uh, that's when we designed and built our own tube frame cars. Our cars were always Nissans. We were not a factory team, so it's tough to compete against the factories. Our goal was always to be the top independent, and we achieved that numerous times including one year we did it as far as the season points championship was concerned. That's awesome. And that was, you know, you can't say you were number one, <laughs> but in your heart you know you did real good. Right. So, And in, in those days, were you behind the wheel on the timing stand, engineering? I was always behind the wheel. Uh, I actually designed the tube frame cars, the suspension setups and stuff like that. I had a lot of advice. I learned a lot of that stuff. When I worked at Goodyear as a race tire engineer, and I had to learn stuff like that to be good at that active. And I also learned a lot. Three of the years at Goodyear I spent in stock car tire development. And you may think the roundy round guys are, uh, you know, different than the sports car group. But if you stand in the pits and you pay attention to how they are managing a race, what is going on behind the scenes, you learn a lot, mm -hmm. an awful lot. My wife, the one story I like telling, my wife came over to Pocono one time when I was working, and she's not allowed to be there side by side all the time, but the Saturday race, the support race, the guy who won the race, one of his pit stops, he came in, stopped, it looked like a Chinese fire drill. People yelling at each other, <laughs> running around. It was crazy. It was fast. It was frantic. He was out of there. He won the race. Sunday she stopped by just as, I think it was Harry Gant pitted. He came in, stopped. 
They fueled, changed tires, and he was gone. And my wife turned to me and said, nobody said a word to anybody else. And we always set up then our IMSA team to run like that. During pit stops, unless there was something that wasn't right, everybody knew their job. They did it. They didn't need to talk to each other, and the car was gone. Mm. So I learned a lot from watching stock cars. Yeah. And how'd you get into racing? What was your motorsports interest? Uh, when I was a kid, we'd go to the local Oval back in Illinois, Freeport, Illinois. Uh, a neighbor introduced me to Formula One on TV, sports car racing. Um, I started following that. I strongly enjoyed it all, subscribed to the magazines. When my wife and I met and we were engaged, we went, our second date, we went to Mid-Ohio to a race. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I told her one time when we were engaged, I'm going to do that someday. I want to try that someday. She thought I was kidding. <laughs> About four or five years ago, we actually did it. Now, I'm not going to put my wife down. Sandy's been the strongest supporter I've had throughout my career. And the only thing she said to me, because at one of an early races, we saw a couple open-wheel cars tangle, and one of them sort of cartwheeled down the track. Everybody was okay. But she never wanted me to get an open-wheel car. No. But uh, I left Goodyear after 19 years, and I've been with her now for 32. That's awesome. As far as the race business. Yeah. Yep. In the background, what did you enjoy the most? Goodyear, IMSA? Oh, I enjoyed the driving the most. Yeah. <laughs> everything, everything is keyed to getting behind the wheel. And that, that's what I thoroughly enjoyed the most, is just driving. Everything had to lead to that. Gotcha. So how did you take that experience and turn it into a business? Uh, when you're sort of a small budget team, you tend to run out of money a lot (laughs) and uh, you start to get a little bit in debt and then a lot in debt and things just money flows the wrong way but when I started doing the the IMSA stuff the pro racing I found that some of the local club racers would come and ask me for advice Mm -hmm. and after a while they'd ask me for mechanical help with something just word of advice A group called Track Time over in Youngstown approached me about coming to their streetcar events and providing mechanical help to people that had problems. And that led to more contacts. It's just contacting people. And people knew you existed. They knew to come to you and ask questions or get work done on their car. And that started it. And then more and more people started like, leaving the cars with us so right now our car our shop has four cars that sort of permanently live there Uh, there's one that lives at our house we have my vintage car from the IMSA days and we have maybe eight to ten other clients that bring their cars in for service so let's talk about actually really quickly I'm, I'm curious on the IMSA car you ever get that back on track yes yeah, that, that was a struggle. That That's another thing with being a small company. You spend more time working on somebody else's car in order to pay the bills 
you don't have a whole lot of time to work on your car. I actually ran my last IMSA race in 1989. Sorry, 1999. Uh, that particular tube frame car was built in 1991. Uh, the last race we ran was mid-Ohio, 1990, August. And... I would work on it every once in a while, trying to rebuild it, but it wasn't until 2019 that I got serious about it, and we put it together to run Watkins Glen SVRA at the end of the year, and basically that was the first time the car had been on the track in 20 years, and we invited crew members from in the past and a whole bunch of people, and it was like a family reunion. The car had a couple minor things, but it ran great all weekend, and everybody was happy, and we tried to get it out once a year since then. Awesome. But it had sat idle for 20 years. Yeah. So that Watkins Glen race, how big was your smile under that helmet? Huge. Yeah, I bet. Huge. It, uh, we honestly thought, I knew what times I had run there in the past, and I thought, well, yeah, the car's been rebuilt, drivetrain hasn't been touched. Uh, you know, I'm sure not what I was back in those days, but if I can get out there and get within 10, ten seconds of what I'd run before, I'd be happy. I got within four seconds. Holy cow. That's awesome. <laughs> so, no wonder you got a smile on your face. Yeah, but like any racer, by the end of the weekend, I had a long list of things I wanted to make better. Yeah. <laughs> Start planning about the next race. Yep. Let's talk about the shop a little bit. So um, the cars that maybe, what kind of services are you providing these folks, whether it's a car that stays there or a car that gets brought to you? Okay, well, well, we'll start at the top. Uh, David Pinteric runs the Trans Am Series. We've been taking care of his cars since he ran SCCA Club Racing. And for about the last five, six years, he's been running Trans Am we're currently waiting on a new car that's being built down in the Charlotte area um, with COVID and everything. That's dragged out. But we basically run the whole series, Trans Am series, with him. He has won Trans Am races. Uh, he won the Rookie of the Year the first year he started. That's at the top. Uh, below that, we take care of a whole bunch of club racers. And... They sort of run anywhere from just regionals to they'll pursue the runoffs. This year at the runoffs, included David Pinteric, who also plays around SCCA. We actually had 10 cars there that were associated with us. That's awesome. Four of the cars were ones that we do everything on. And then the rest of them were ones that we just help out at times. So that's the bulk of that, the club racers. And what we do at the shop... When it comes to engines, we'll pull them and ship them and put them mm -hmm. back in. But we do not rebuild engines. That's There's some real good experts out there. We do a lot of basic alignment stuff, repair stuff. Bodywork is something else we ship out. Mm -hmm. We just don't do that. And we provide trackside services to most of these people. Um, the majority of them... We will send a mechanic with them to the track for the weekend. We have two of them going to Mid-Ohio this coming weekend for a regional. And uh, two of the guys are going down there. So 
Then we'll send one to the Corvette Museum track the following weekend for NASA. Mm -hmm. And the one other car that lives at our shop and has been there since 1991 is a Corvette ZR1. And we are currently leaving Saturday morning to take it all the way to California for a one-day program with the gentleman that owns it. No kidding. And we, in the past, we did One Lap of America. We did a bunch of other things with him. Now we just go out there. He invites a bunch of his friends out, and we have a good day away from the office, and then we come home. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it covers the gamut. Yep. Well, um, so regarding your services, what's the... Uh... What's the real head-scratching thing you've been asked to do that you know wasn't body work, it wasn't engine rebuild, which you would normally ship out, but someone wanted you to do something you thought, that's an odd request? Oh, boy. That, I, I don't really know unless I would come up with something that is in the category of when people are trying to solve problems that maybe the problem doesn't exist. Yeah. I can't think of an example, right. but they're trying to make something happen with their car that it's just not going to be possible. Gotcha. I can't think of an example of that, but those they get into tough things like that. and We get into things where somebody brings it in for something they think is wrong, uh, and in the process of digging into it, we find something else. Actually, not in the shop, but earlier this week, at Nelson Ledges at a tune and test day, a gentleman had a car there that he was running okay when he had it on track, but then when he pitted, he had a leak in the radiator. So he said, I won't be able to continue the day. I got a car problem. I got to take it home. I went over there, looked in the engine compartment. Yeah, he had a leak in the radiator. The bolt had come out from a crank pulley. And was up against the radiator. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> you know, if he had brought it in the shop and just said, hey, can you put a new radiator in for me, it would have led to other things. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> would have had a new radiator a couple of, in an event later. Yeah. Gosh. All right. So let's, since you mentioned Nelson, uh, a lot of times during the week, during the month, people can find you at Nelson. What kind of stuff are you doing there? Um, that goes back to the previous owner, management at Nelson, they, I did what was called fun days for streetcars. Uh, when the new owner took over a couple years ago, uh, some people started up and they were putting on, bring your streetcars out, play around, uh, but they did not allow beginners to come. So I was contacted, can you bring back your old program? Because I always had a class for beginners. Mm -hmm. And so I brought that back. And then we also decided, we refer to that as streetcar days, they also decided that, you know, it might be nice to have a day just for race cars, especially open-wheel cars, because it was hard to fit them in on the other days. So once a month, it typically has been the first Wednesday of a month, we do the streetcar day. The biggest turnout we've had this year has been 51 cars. It's slowly been growing. 51 is where you start thinking about, do I want to limit this? Mm -hmm. uh, the test and tune cars for race cars, that's usually the second Tuesday of every month. And that's been slowly growing too. It's not anywhere near as big, but those guys, they come out, they're, they're, they're different. They'll come out 
and they may just want to run a couple sessions. They just want to make sure the car's okay for the upcoming race. And okay, the car's fine. We're out of here before we break it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and those those are different. They never get really big, but we do get a lot of open wheel cars for that. So. Oh, cool. And there's, uh, I have a meeting tomorrow, Friday, with uh, Brian Ross out at the track, and we're going to discuss next year. Um, I've also been doing private things out there because I'll be out there tomorrow with a private company just helping them with their event, facilitate it. But Brian wants to start a school out there. And that's one of the things we've been sort of starting to kick around this year. We're going to try to more formalize it this fall. So see if we can actually have a racing school that would lead to somebody being able to get an SCCA novice permit or something like that. That would be huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Very cool. Um, so let's walk somebody. So someone listening to this says, man, I want to make that jump from autocross to getting on track. And they want to attest. They're, they're going to show up to one of your test and tune street car events. Walk them through the day. Now, remember, they've. They may have never been to a track before. They just okay. bought their helmet from track first. It smells nice inside. <laughs> and uh, they show up. Walk them through a day. What, what can they expect? How, how, they, how are they handled throughout the day? Okay, if it's a novice person and it's the streetcar days, I never know how many peop novices are going to show up. So I don't really have in-car instructors. Uh, there are some of the other people that are there that are experienced that are more than happy to jump in with somebody and help them. But at the beginning of the day, we have a general meeting. We point out some of the track rules, some of the things, just how to get on the track, off the track. Uh, we talk about just general stuff like that. When that's over, uh, there's usually three groups. A and B are the people that have done it before. The C group is the novice. I will spend time with a whiteboard with the novice, giving them a whole bunch of tips and ideas, generally... The idea is how to teach themselves. Um, if you go on the CriderRacing.com website, I wrote a thing called How to Learn a Track. And it is full of tips and examples for how to prepare for an event like that. A lot of the stuff I do in that beginner classroom and some stuff that goes even a little bit beyond that. And then I also fill it with a bunch of examples of how I learned these things from the past. So I got a lot of stories in there. Yeah, we'll put a link to that. Yeah, good. I appreciate that. So so for those listening, here's something I used to do. So when I would go to a track day at Nelson Ledges and, and Reed was leading the group, event after event, I would always sign up as a novice, even though I could hang with the <laughs> intermediates because I wanted that classroom time. What's one more thing I could learn? If there's one little trick I pick up or something like that, um, the classrooms, what you do, several people do that. Yeah. And it is interesting because one of the things I, I, I remember to say sometimes in the classroom is to please come and talk to me during the day if you got questions about anything because I've discovered doing classrooms over the year that what comes out of my mouth isn't necessarily what goes in their ears. Yes. <laughs> and we, we had a guy a year ago that he had a Corvette and... He was doing real good, and he approached me one day, and he started talking about downshifting for turn one. And I'm like, 
you're downshifting for term one. <laughs> and he just, it just, it had never come up in conversation. Yeah. So I, I am around all day for people to come up and ask questions. And some do, some don't. So I guess let's take that person then that attends your event. They have a great experience. Like, all right, I'm hooked. Yeah. Then what should they do? Okay, then they need to make a decision whether they're going to continue doing programs like that or get into real racing. If they're going to get into real racing, we can work with them, help them. Uh, one piece of advice I always give somebody that is going to get into real racing is when they decide what class or car they want to run, uh, a lot of racing is passion. And... I have seen many people do what their buddies think they should do. And they really need to pursue what they want to do. You know, look at their own budget, figure out what they can spend. There is no, racing's expensive, but there's no reason to spend a fortune initially thinking you're going to go out there and win everything. Uh, as somebody I heard say many, many years ago, racing, driving a race car is very much like playing golf. It looks easy, but it <laughs> isn't. It takes practice, practice, practice. And so we can help somebody get started. Um, that's, that's not a problem. They can call me anytime and I'll, I'll give them whatever pointers I have to sort of get them in the right direction. But um, I had done in the past this deal uh, to help people get a novice permit. That was always on a one-on-one -on -one basis, which is why the track and I are trying to do it on a more formalized, you know, advertised basis. Mm -hmm. So so we can get them pointed in the right direction. And then from there, it's, you know, just how they want to do it, where they want to go. Uh, I want to add one other thing here. It might be a good point to add it. This year, we started helping... A young driver, he's running both NASA and SCCA. He's in a spec Miata. He's his background has been on the video games. Mm -hmm. Right off the bat, we realized he was better than the average beginner. But as the year has gone on, he realized that he's not kicking ass like he did on the video games. It's taken time. I still think he's potentially very, very good, but it's been a little humbling to him at yeah. times this year. And uh, we're still working with him. Hmm. So. Um, so what's the best? So if somebody, somebody wants to get a little bit better, maybe they've got a couple events under, and by events, maybe they've done yeah. a time trial event, maybe they've attended a couple of year track days. Uh, and they say, all right, I, I want to get better. Uh, what advice would you give them as to how to get better? Um, I guess we should define better, right? Yeah. Better yeah. braking, better car control. So if somebody comes like that, and they, let's just say they ask you a question, I want to be better. How do you approach them? There's a lot of things out there. There are a lot of things you can read, a lot of things on the Internet. There is data acquisition systems, which in and of themselves are helpful they sort of point you in the right direction. But getting better, I think you got you got to look at yourself first and, and define, you know, just, just if you want to go faster per lap, actually the first thing you got to do is become consistent. 
because when we help somebody at the track, we'll be there at the track helping, giving advice, stuff, be it mechanical or driving. Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing the person has got to do is be consistent. You can't take somebody that's their time's bouncing all over the place and tell them, well, this is what you got to do. They got to get consistent. Once they get consistent, then we can start talking. Are you having problems entering the turn, exiting the turn? Are there particular turns you're having an issue with more than others? And you start looking at the little pieces and trying to improve them as you go along. Uh, one of the things I teach in my basic class for the streetcars is learning where the apex is, which are, when you're learning a track, uh, you always make the apex late when you're learning it. Uh, so, because if you make it early and you're going really fast, you may find yourself in the grass at the exit. Mm -hmm. If you make it late and you're going really fast, you may not use all the road at the exit, but you can correct it the next time around. You make it early, you're in the grass, you may not get a time to correct it. I always tell them, don't go diving into the turn seeing if you can survive. <laughs> yeah. Le learn the apex and the exit first. Is there a trick to figuring out how to make a late apex work? Because the tendency is you want to turn in early. Yes, you definitely want it. And that's, that's true. Dri I don't care how many times a driver has driven what level or a pro they're at or whatever, the natural tendency when you look into a turn is to pick an early apex. It's just the natural thing to do. So you got to tell yourself when you're first going out that make just make it a few feet further or whatever around the turn until you start to get comfortable with the turn and then start trying to dial it in. All right, so I interrupted your train of thought. They were talking about late apex. Yeah, it, it's... Yeah, late apex, it, it, it's it's really nice. It's, it's just a way to learn it. Uh, there are turns, most turns you're going to want to have a slightly late apex, when, even when you develop what is the definite one you want to use. There's only a few turns out there on most courses where like one turn leads immediately to another turn. You might not follow that theory. Mm -hmm. uh, Nelson Ledges... The last two turns on the track, turns 12 and 13. When you watch people race out there, most people want to make a late apex on turn 12 to set up for turn 13. Without going into full detail, that is not the fast way around the track. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that's, that's a case where you got to do something a little different on the track. Um, and there are other tracks like that. Mid-Ohio. Uh, the S is at Mid-Ohio at the end of the straight. You know, you go right, up over Madness, left, down the hill, right again. There's several lines through that, and most people follow the one basic line, but there are other people that have found certain line variations work. Um, that's just learning a track, learning lines. The setup on the car can change. A lot of cars, when you're first starting out, you really don't want to screw around with setup. Again, that's where you want to get the car consistent, mm -hmm. your time's consistent, and then if the car is understeering, oversteering, whatever, then you can start addressing those issues because you know consistently 
what your lap times are, and you know what the car feels like so you can go make an adjustment. Um, that is another place where if somebody gives you tire pressure advice, suspension setup advice, most of the times those things will get you in the ballpark. Uh, but don't listen to them as if they are gospel. Uh, the best example I can give of that is so many things that happen going into a turn, out of a turn, on and off the gas have to do with weight transfer of the car. Mm -hmm. And the shocks control the weight transfer. And you can buy shocks if you got lots of money that have a tremendous amount of adjustment to them. And if you're, for example, if you're a breaker that is nice and smooth on the brakes as far as your application, I'm not saying slow, but nice and smooth, versus a breaker who likes to jab at the brakes, you need an entirely different shock setup. Mm. And drivers, and they may turn the same speeds. Yeah. It's just that's what they're comfortable with, and they need a different setup. That's a very high level you get to. Sure. So, so for the novice... Um, Let's say they let's say they they actually let's not even call them a novice. They've got some experience, so now they've upgraded their car a little bit, and they've got some yep. adjustable coilovers, and they have different um, uh, different sway bars, and they've got track tires. And now they're going out. What should they be looking for, and how to dial things in exactly where they need to be? What are they trying to feel in the car? Yeah, you want to you want to feel comfortable. You want to get to a point where you're. Your application of the throttle is a smooth application, not a on-off jerky one. Um, I had another thought. Let's see if I can get it back. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was something you said leading up to that. How did you ask that? I started with a, a novice who uh, novice and who went ahead, you know, but but now it's somebody okay. that, that made the investment in the car. Okay, I get. I give you a tip that most people do not have a tire parameter to take tire temperatures, mm -hmm. which in the days of, I'll date myself again, in the days of bias tires, that was super <laughs> critical. Yeah. Uh, a bias tire usually had about a four PSI working range. You got out of that, the tire, the tire temperatures would show you, do you big time. Today's modern, especially the wide radial tires, you can be in a window of 20, 30 PSI and you know, they're still working reasonably well. Not optimum, mm -hmm. but if you don't have a parameter when you come in while the tires are still hot, a very simple thing that can be done is just brush your fingers over the tire. Is the front ones hotter than the rear or the rear ones hotter than the front? If you can feel that difference, you can tell whether the car is understeering or oversteering. Because the hotter tires will be the ones that are sliding more on the track. And that gives you an idea where to start adjusting. So you want to slow down that sliding. You want to slow down that side. Now, you know, I, it, again, we get into some pretty hard to understand areas here from some people. But let's say the rear end is sliding around too much. You can adjust that with uh, springs. Let's say you don't have springs. You can adjust that with the sway bar. Uh, but with the rear end sliding around a lot, you might want to actually make the front end slide more to get the car better balanced. Mm. 
And so a lot of those things you, you have to play with and adjust. And my general approach, which comes from the Goodyear years, is you never run more than four, five, six laps. Depends on track length. Uh, get out there with that setup, run that short amount of time. If the lap times are consistent, make your adjustment and go do it again. If you stay out there and start running six, seven, eight, ten laps, you're trying to dial yourself into the car rather than make the car better. Gotcha. So. And that, you know, you heard some people say make slight adjustments, and you hear other people say make major adjustments so you get a feel for which Which advice would you give? My advice is slight adjustments unless you're sort of running out of time and... You know, then you can throw everything at it if you want. Just mm -hmm. if you're really out, you can throw everything out. Uh, having said that also, if you're making, and shocks is another example of this, if you're making shock adjustments, how many adjustments do you have on your shock as far, and I'm just talking about, let's say, rebound. How many notches do you have on your rebound? Are there seven or eight, or are there 18 or 20? Um what we discovered a long time ago in IMSA, uh, Dave Weitzenhoff, local driver here, many national championships, we had a large number of adjustments in the shock. And David's attitude was, don't just turn it one or two clicks, turn it four, five, six clicks. Mm -hmm. He says, if we go too far, okay, we know we did it. But if you start, just start a nicking away at it, we may never know. Again, the driver's adjusting to the car. Yeah. So, so depend. You know, you most of the time, but I prefer only making one adjustment at the time if time allows. Yeah. So don't go and do tire pressures. Don't make the sh the shock adjustments. Right. Do one or the other. See how it changes. Yeah. And if you can get, like these test and tune days at Goodyear, that that Goodyear at Nelson Ledges, um, this past Tuesday, Amy Ruman was out there testing her Trans Am car. Oh, how cool. And, uh, yeah, we get some big names out there. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, they made just, they had a little bit of time left, so they made a real quick wing adjustment on the back of her car. And she came in afterwards, and she says, that wasn't the right way to go. <laughs> but you learn. Yep. You make the little adjustments, and you learn. Yeah. Yep. She, was she getting ready for Mid-Ohio this weekend? She's, they're going down to Texas, Dakota. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, the last Trans Am race of the year. Gotcha. And uh, they had, they missed the previous event because she actually had a battle with the uh, COVID. Oh, no. So she didn't have to go in the hospital or anything, but it had her down for a while. Yeah, nothing yeah. to mess with. So. Good stuff. Um, so I know you talked a little bit about the school for next year. Any other plans for next year you can talk about yet? Hopefully we get our new Trans Am car. Um, oh, that's right. We do have two Spec Racer Ford 3 versions that right now we think one of them is spoken for for the entire year next year, and the other one may or may not be. We, we got a couple inquiries on that when we were at the runoffs a few weeks ago. Uh, we generally rent them out uh, individually when they're not being used otherwise, this, uh, the last race this month at Nelson Ledges, the regional race, uh, one of them's definitely rented out, and we got a strong inquiry on the second one already. Hmm. So, 
Oh, so you can do like a, 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 ride, a ride and drive with those? Right. Yeah. Yep. Oh, cool. Yep. You just pay your money and sign the contract and so. Keep it on the asphalt. Keep it on the asphalt, yes. They may be a, that's a good class to run in. It's relatively inexpensive, but these are, uh, Justin Healy ran one at, at the runoffs at Road America a year ago. He set the fast slap, finished seventh. He ran one at the runoffs this year at Indy. Um, in a 72 car field, he finished eighth. So oh, they're wow. good cars. Yeah. <laughs> and, but if somebody totaled them, they'd be expensive to repair. So most people, most people behave. Yes. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so as we we're talking about next year as well, will is there a good indication you'll continue the the test and tunes for the race and street cars? Uh, that will be discussed tomorrow. But I think everything looks good. Yeah. So I think they're great events. Yeah. And I wish I could get more of them. That darn work thing gets in the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, years ago when we did these programs, we tried to squeeze them in on Fridays or weekends, which worked better with an individual schedule. But Nelson Ledges is between motorcycles and race cars and everything else. Most of their weekends are spoken for. Mm -hmm. And what we decided was to start out, let's just schedule them once a month, and try to make them so that everybody knows it's going to be that first Wednesday or that second Tuesday. Yeah. And we stick to that as much as we can. Good. So. Good. Now, they may ask me to start doing more of them next year, which yeah. I'll fade it into my schedule somehow. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy helping people. So. Yeah. You know, the, the weekday stuff does work with planning because it's nice. You know, a lot of people tell me, hey, it, it's nice. I have a flexible work environment. I can take a yep. couple hours off. I can work remotely from the track, and it does not interfere with family time. Right. So the, the, the weekday stuff does work. Yep. For sure. What didn't we talk about that you wanted to talk about, Reed? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh you know, like, like I mentioned at the beginning, 50 years is a long time. There's, I've done so many different things in my life. I've met so many different people. Uh, I, I'll give you one example. This isn't a person I met, but the movie that came out a year or two ago, Ford v. Ferrari, mm -hmm. I did not realize it at the time that that was really about a movie about a certain individual that worked for Shelby. Mm. And when I was in high school, around February that year, I wrote a letter to Shelby. And I'm in Illinois. He's in California. And I'm looking for a summer job on a race team. And I tell him, I'm going to go to the University of Illinois. I'm going to study aeronautical engineering. And I ask in that letter somewhere, would that be the right path to follow? Well, I got a letter back and basically said, you know, we already hired people, sorry, and then suggested I become a mechanical engineer instead of aeronautical because that would probably be more useful in the racing field. Now, these are in the days when they didn't have racing degrees. Yeah. But that would be more useful and... Uh, 
the letter was signed by the lead character in the Ford v. Ferrari movie, and I still have that letter. Do you really? Yep. Nice. And for some, and that that adjusted everything in my life. Uh, another thing that adjusted stuff when Nelson Ledges started their 24-hour races. The second year of the race, John McGill, who was a track manager then, had somebody with an RX-7 with an aftermarket turbo that they wanted to run it in a prototype class. This was not a factory effort in any way. Uh, he called me and asked if I wanted to do it, put the program together. This all started the Monday of the event. We put the program together. Uh, I had a friend I knew from pro racing. He had been the uh, Can-Am under two liter champion one time. Uh, he came down, he was one of the drivers. And halfway through the race, I got in a battle with Hurley Haywood hmm. in one of the Porsches. Oh, wow. And we, Porsche had just introduced the 924s, and they had about four or five factory cars there. We're, this is Sunday morning. We're running in second. We're down a few laps, but we're running in second overall. But we're a threat. If their car breaks... You know, it's our race, and we're actually running faster lap times, but we're never going to catch him. And, but he starts, in my mind, fooling around with me because we're running the same lap times. I got tapped a few times and this and that, and this went on for about 45 minutes, and Tim Evans, the Can-Am guy, I'm, I'm out there. I've never done anything like this before in my life. I'm out there. And am I doing the right thing? And I come by the pits one time, and Tim is standing out there giving me a big old thumbs up. And I thought, okay, okay. <laughs> and he, he's the one that actually made me believe I could go into pro racing because some of the instincts or whatever were right. The funny thing that happened after that was when Hurley pitted, he was further down the pit lane. When he pitted, he got out of the car, he collapsed, they put him in the ambulance, and our crew went nuts because they thought I'd worn him out. Uh, Truth of the matter was, the back hatch on his car was up and he'd been inhaling fumes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, But those things, little things like that make a big change in your life. Yeah. So when I left Goodyear... They, when I worked race tires at Goodyear for eight years or so, I loved that job. But in that job, and I don't know what it's like with Goodyear now, but in that job back then, if you had an idea for a tire or whatever, you'd go into the manager's office and you'd say, this is my idea. If the manager liked it, he'd say, get out of here and get to work. And you did everything. Yeah. You did everything. It was like, like a small company. You did everything. Yeah, they, they overlooked what you were doing, but you did everything. When I went into passenger tires, I was ahead of the street high-performance street tire designs for a while. Uh, it grew that section from four or five people to like, I think it was 14 when I left Goodyear. Because mm. that was just growing like crazy. But in that area... Well, I sort of liked the design work. I didn't design anymore. I sat in meetings to preference things, to get approvals for things. 
I didn't have the freedom I had in race tires, and I just, I didn't enjoy it. And nothing against Goodyear. I, I think any big company is probably like that. I'm more a guy that likes having my own little company, my own control over it, good or bad. You know, I like being the boss, you might say. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yep. So, Well, Reed, this has been a lot of fun, a lot, very, very interesting. Ideas you shared, insights you shared are going to be very well received by our listeners. Um, before we wrap up, what's I'm going to link to your website. Are there any other ways you want people to get a hold of you through? I think the website is probably the best link. Okay. Uh, Kreider Racing phone number is 330-854-4889. And Sandy, my wife, she answers that most of the time. It's usually close to her to answer. Uh, I would give you my cell phone number. But the problem with that is, like right now during this interview, the cell phone's out in the car. When I'm at the shop, if I'm not at my desk, if I'm out in the shop, the cell phone's on the yep. desk, I'm hard to get a hold of on my cell phone. Gotcha. So, Cool. Yep. Um, have you ever been late to grid? Probably, but I don't remember it. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. <laughs> I have had nightmares about being late to grid. Yeah. And... That can be scary at times. Oh, for sure. <laughs> well, thanks again for being on. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed this. And uh, I know you're going to mention Track First some more, but uh, they have a great place here. A lot of, lot of our clients do their shopping here. So. I know. My wife says I spend too much time and money here. I can believe <laughs> the money part and <laughs> time. and just, just come in here and look around. It's, it's, it's a neat place to see. It's fun. So. We'll, um, we'll keep it rolling. I'll tell you about this. Um, we used to, uh, for the Neo Ohio SCCA uh, autocross program, back at their Brexville store, we'd go upstairs, and they'd have all the chairs laying around. That's where we had our meetings. Yeah. And they'd host us there, nice atmosphere. So they've, they've been very good to the racing community. Yeah, they have. They have. Yeah. And you realize the extent of it when you look at all the pictures in here. I know. They've touched a lot of lives, kept yeah. a lot of people yes, safe. Yes, they do. Yeah, Tim and Sally do a great job. They're very helpful. Look at that. We worked a commercial in, too. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Reed. Well, thank you. Wow, what an episode. Reed shares so many good ideas for our listeners, whether you're just getting on track or whether you've been on track for several years and want to get better and faster. This might be an episode you listen to two or three times, just to be reminded of those great ideas Reed shares. In the show notes page, there's a link to Kreider Racing's website so you can learn more about Reed, his services, and his shop. There's also a phone number. You can call them and learn more about how to take advantage of their services. Uh, if you're at Nelson Ledges for one of the tests and tunes, you'll certainly see Reed at Track. We want to thank Track First for their sponsorship of the podcast, their support of motorsports, and also allowing me to sit down with Reed in their showroom and record this episode. If you haven't already, be sure to go to Instagram and give us a follow at late to grid We're also on Facebook at late to grid And don't forget to tell a friend about the podcast. Maybe they can learn a little bit more. Maybe they can better support you and your racing efforts just by listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, give us a five-star review and rating on your favorite podcast listening app. We want to bring you more great guests. We want to get you more interesting information, and we want to help you get better on track.
and we don't want you to be late to grid. Hey, and let me put a quick plug in for Radar Complete Car Care, my shop in Wycliffe, Ohio. While our main focus is cars that are daily drivers, trucks, fleet services, you know, the day-to-day -day type services you expect from a repair facility, we also do get into projects. So this week we had a uh, trailer come in, a race car trailer, had some braking issues. We figured out an electrical issue with that. We also got his tow vehicle fixed with an ABS issue and some new tires. But then also we've got some projects being brought in for the off season. So we have an E36 that was just trailered in. We're gonna get that car ready, that's a track car. We also have a Miata coming in for a skid plate fabrication and exhaust work. And we have an R53 Mini Cooper that's coming in next week uh, to help that gentleman finish his build and get it ready for next season. So. If you're in the Ohio area and you're looking for a shop that has care and attention and wants it done just like you would do it, give us a call. Let's talk through the project and see how we can help you out. And then again, if you just have your regular car needs, maintenance, tires, suspension, we can help with that too. Oh, and we do transmission rebuilds in-house. Radair.com, R-A-D-A-I-R.com forward slash Wycliffe. 440-943-9666.